Previously on Searching for Ghosts. What is the question that listeners are asking after hearing this? I know what I would be asking if I were on the other end of this deal. What about the mother? Where is Cindy? That law enforcement zeroed in on Cindy from the beginning. It appears that they felt that she was connected to Casey's disappearance in one way or another. And with this case, it's not as if you can just look at someone's criminal history to determine if they are credible or a possible suspect. It seems that everyone I look into has had some sort of run-in with the law. It's staggering, actually. Well, uh, at first, it didn't take long to just uh, decide that uh, it was so, something strange about it. Right. That uh, it was... Uh, suspect so do you think that you think that Cindy knows what happened may not have been a part of it but knows I personally I do yeah that's just that's my Yeah. Oh, I'm finding that out. And uh, because when I carried her down for the FBI, for the polygraph test, she actually failed the test both times. Yeah. And she stormed out of the room and said they were abusing her uh, verbally. And I can hear every word that goes on there. They said nothing Yeah. out of the way. Yeah. And never even raised her voice, what she said. Yeah. And uh, she said, I'll never go back there again, but... Uh, you know, you don't you don't act that way when that's your daughter, yeah, or your son, or whoever. Yeah, it's true. That's true. So, well, and I don't. I, mean, I know the family real well, all the family, but I don't trust Cindy. I didn't trust her then. Her and Steve. Yep. And I put nothing past them. You know, you get to drinking and doping up. People do things that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. We're 17 episodes in. I've been looking into this case long enough now to gain some perspective. There is information that I've received over the course of about eight months that I've made note of but never aired. Because some of this information by itself didn't mean anything. But if you wait long enough and talk to enough people, it starts to come together. In the beginning, I didn't know anything. So one bit of information was just as important as another. That's how you end up traipsing all over creation to hunt down briefcases and the like. There are more Mr. X stories than anything else in this case. So in the beginning, that's where I spent the majority of my time. But after so many differing stories, it became apparent that that dog don't hunt. There's no there there. And my gut always told me that this grand conspiracy with 10 or more people was just wrong. I've always thought it was much simpler than that. The Holly Bobo murder trial is going on but I can't follow it out of fear of confusing things in my head with Casey's case. But so many have made comments to me about the stark contrast with the mothers in each of these cases. From what I've been told, Karen Bobo has been relentless in her search to find answers. When I first started this, I had no idea that I would be shut out like I've been by Cindy. I think I've been fair in giving her the benefit of the doubt. But the story of how the house was found that night, coupled with how it was assumed that Casey just spent the night with a friend, doesn't add up. And with the information I've received over the last few months, it stinks even more. I'm Brandon Barnett, and this is Searching for Ghosts.
may have noticed in recent episodes that I no longer asked for Cindy to come forward and talk. That's because she actually contacted me. Back in June, a seemingly intoxicated Cindy called me at 10 p.m. on a Sunday night. She yelled at me for about five minutes. I couldn't get a word in edgewise. Then, finally, I gave it back to her. I explained that if she had nothing to do with Casey's disappearance, then I was the best friend she has. And that if she did have something to do with it, I definitely wasn't. She finally calmed down and started giving me information. She stated that she is still in possession of the letter, but that she didn't think the author had anything to do with Casey's disappearance. She stated over and over again that it was Pete Hill, Mr. Y. I asked her if she had a reason as to why she was so adamant that he was the culprit. She responded with, quote, Honey, I didn't just pull his name out of a hat. Unquote. I asked her to go on the record with me. She had already accused me of just wanting a juicy story. She talked about how the Jackson son had misquoted her over the years and that she didn't trust me. I told her that I would just hit record and I would air everything she said, unedited. She still refused, stating that I would still find a way to doctor her testimony. Keep in mind that this was around the time of episode 8, Mr. X. I hadn't even gotten to episode 10 yet, where the source claimed that she had heard that Cindy was complicit in the cover-up of Casey's murder. Her anger was over episode 3, Cindy, which I thought was very fair to her. For everything in that episode that made Cindy look suspicious, I had a counter-argument from other sources that painted her in a good light, at least in the beginning of Casey's disappearance. I've even had people reach out to me who stated that they always suspected Cindy, but that the podcast had caused them to change their minds about her. Around the same time as the phone call from Cindy, I received an account from a former law enforcement official that was off the record. He mentioned that Cindy didn't seem overly concerned when the initial report was filed. He mentioned the unusually clean house. Again, this was long before this was aired on the podcast. He mentioned the search party that Cindy ran off and said that she had failed two, possibly three polygraph tests and refused to take any more. He then mentioned the John Bonet Ramsey case, which ironically is what caused me to start this podcast. He made sure to say that he wasn't accusing anyone of anything, but he did say that if you look at the Ramsey case and the Casey McDaniel case, there are many similarities. Then he said, quote, enough said, I will leave it at that, unquote. He later said that Cindy was the biggest roadblock in this investigation. Last week, I received some information from what I consider a reliable source. This source claimed that Child Services had indeed visited Cindy. It was stated that Cindy had lied about Steve living there so as not to lose her Section 8 status. It was also stated that Casey would on occasion, in order to get out of that house, spend the night in a shed in the backyard where Cindy's brother was living. I was told that her uncle would sleep on the floor and give Casey his bed. If police had this information at the time, you can see why they might have held on to the runaway theory. This source also stated that Cindy's younger half-brother, when asking about when his sister was coming home after she disappeared, was told not to ever mention her name in that house again. This brings us to the documents that I've recently received from a former law enforcement official conducting his own investigation into Casey's disappearance. My source met with family members to interview them. The first person to be interviewed was Joe Smith, Lucas's father, who has since passed away. Quote, Joe Smith, Casey's uncle, was there first and he and I spoke alone for a few minutes. Joe believes that Cindy, Casey's mother, knows what happened to Casey. Joe seemed very apprehensive about talking to me and stated that he did not want his mother to be upset anymore by all this. Joe believes that Pete Hill actually killed Casey 
and stated that he came up with a lot of scratches on him after Casey disappeared. He told the scratches were from Brush. Joe seemed to ramble when he spoke and mentioned a Rusty Sykes name. Joe stated he heard Casey was smoking cigarettes and that Cindy and Steve Davenport had taken Casey into a bar in Humboldt with him once, unquote. The report goes on to state that other family members came in at that time and Joe sat there for a brief moment and then stood up and walked out. Another family member stated that they thought, quote, Cindy knew something about Casey being gone. Cindy appeared to be trying to kill herself and stated Cindy appeared to have a lot of guilt on her about Casey, unquote. The witness also stated that Cindy had never had a breakdown about Casey to them and that Cindy refuses to talk about Casey's disappearance. Two other family members recounted a story shortly after Casey disappeared. This isn't the first time I've heard this story. More on that later. These witnesses said that, quote, Shortly after Casey disappeared, that Steve Davenport was in the driveway of the McDaniel home and Pete Hill came up and began talking to Steve. Cindy looked at Steve and Pete and Pete nodded his head, and Cindy fell to her knees in the yard and began to cry and scream and beat the ground. Both mentioned the names Sam Sykes and Rusty. Unquote. Back in May or June, I had contacted one of the people mentioned in this report, long before I ever received it. This source told me the exact story about Cindy falling to her knees over ten years after this report was taken. I asked this person if they would go on the record, and they agreed. Later, this person backed out stating that it would create a lot of problems in the family. So this is where the trail ends. Pete and Steve are both in prison. Without Cindy or family members willing to talk, this is liable to go on another 21 years without answers. I'm done chasing down briefcases and suicide confession letters concerning Mr. X. According to members of her own family, the answers lie with Cindy. been listening to the Left of Nashville Podcast Network. <laughs>